The Start On Demand. On demand. We talked today about the anger that's out there. Not just anger and frustration, but hatred and disgusting and vile comments. Things have moved beyond divisive to downright ugly. One of those areas of anger, the vaccine. We had a conversation today on how to speak to our kids about managing friendships when it comes to the vaccine question, especially since the kids go back to school tomorrow. From Shawshank to West Bank, six Palestinians dug a tunnel to escape an Israeli prison, and you'll never believe what they used to do it. And we had lots of fun chatting about the recipes we just can't duplicate. Inspired by what turned out to be an unexpectedly emotional meal for me at San Lucia Pizza. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling, who's back from vacation, and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, September 7th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, all three back together again with producer Jeff Fortier and Master Control. Greg Mackling, how was your week off, sir? It was fantastic. It was great to be off, but it's great to be back. Ten days without any obligations, essentially. It was quite outstanding, I must confess. Did you get bored? No, I did not get bored. Two rounds of golf, two yards of gravel shoveled and moved, Multiple classic movies, four coyotes for some excitement one night out on the uh, Piner's Greenway, one Costco visit, one <laughs> La Burger Week indulgence, my first Valor FC game, and two Bomber victories. Not a bad holiday after all. Did you actually write all that down? Well, I figured you would ask me what I did, so <laughs> I, typically I can't remember what I did yesterday, so I figured I'd better write it down. <laughs> he had the clipboard in his hand, Loren. I could see it on the monitor. A clipboard? Yeah. Like an actual clipboard? Well, this oh, is boy. the clipboard I use for Blue Bomber games. I'm used to writing stats down on this, so I figured, ah, Brett's going to ask me what I did. I, I like think a about it. clipboard. I feel like that's a nice little thing to walk around in. I should get one for the house and just rattle off lists and orders from it. I think that would be a very great authoritative. Idea. Oh, without question. Hmm, let's see, your bed made? No. No. Closet clean? No. Bathroom dirty? Yes. Yeah, you could uh, really uh, come across as a, a hard ass if you wanted to with that. Thing. Not going to change anything. That's the problem with that. Yeah, there's no, there's no clipboard or school supply you can give me that I think is going to change change things. But we'll see. And here we are. I mean, I don't want to say summer's over, but uh, she's over. <laughs> That's it. The kids go back to school this week. The end <laughs> of the line has has come. Uh, how was your long weekend, by the way, Loren? It was good. We ended up back at Clear Lake for a couple days. Um, it was cooler than expected, but nice. I still went, jumped in the water. I think it was 62 Fahrenheit oh. is what it was reported back oh to me. So it took my breath away. It was oh. cold. I didn't stay in long, but it was nice to get that last swim in. And um, I feel, you know, like I oh, we talk about September being kind of like the start of a new year or you feel like you should be making some resolutions. I feel a little bit melancholy, the right, you know, just... I'm sad that we're here already and I feel like, oh my gosh, where did everything go? And I'm not ready to kickstart like what's going to be a busy, busy week. But at the same time, time to go. Time to get your, your butt out of bed and get yep. going to school this week. So I feel like the kids are pretty excited too. 
Question of the day at cjob.com has to do with just that. With the kids going back to school this week, do you have health and safety concerns about COVID in the classroom? Your options are yes, on the fence, or no. So cast your vote at cjob.com. We'll put it on Twitter as well. For Mr. Furnace, don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this at 7 o'clock. We'll hear from Global Zanya Nazaravich. Uh, but, uh, Greg, when do the Twin Towers go back? Tomorrow, Alexander goes to school for a grand total of 90 minutes tomorrow. It's a real tough first day. What? Yep. They go, I think he has to be there at 10. They get their picture taken. They get their times table, which they've already, you know, had delivered electronically. And then I guess they have some sort of orientation. Welcome back. And then uh, done at 1130. Real tough first day. (laughs) It's going to be exhausted. And need a nap in the afternoon. So actually, it's pretty good because it'll ease them in. Uh, Brendan's schedule is still up in the air. It's still showing a couple of classes, Loren, as being online. And we've reached out to the River East Transcona School Division to find out, like, what's going on with this? So I imagine that'll get cleared up today or tomorrow. We're going to make a call to the to the school. But I think it just uh, goes to show that those online ca- classes are still in the back of the minds of uh, those that provide the education. Well, it might be just the way it goes. You know, I think every school's doing it a bit differently depending on their comfort level, maybe the size of the school. Maybe mm-hmm. some schools might be keeping cohorts or staggered entries, you know, kids starting at different times so they're not all coming in at once. And some schools aren't really going back to any of the old rules from before except for maybe, you know, a couple of different uh, practices like desks and spacing and that kind of thing. So I just really think it depends on where you're going to school and um you know my kids are back full day tomorrow to start it's they're coming in hot they hit the road they they go out tomorrow and there's no uh no easing into it no easing into it man they are going to be tired tomorrow night i tried brett you know like you're like you got to get them back into a routine and yep. get them to bed and get them going so they're not going to be exhausted this week and ah, none of that worked for the last two weeks so good luck to you best yeah. of luck kids yeah i i, I remember we have this chat every year about trying to get the kids, Brett, you know, sort of back into a routine. But when I was a kid, my parents tried, but I resisted with all of all of my energy and being. And uh, I think that's just part of the, the, the kid parent relationship yeah. in summertime, isn't it, Greg? Oh, yes. On my list of on my list of statistics are two epic battles with uh, the Twin Towers with regard to to bedtimes and getting out of bed. Oh, I, I left the house at one point. I had a whole day planned for us of things to do. It was 11.15. They were still in bed. I went upstairs. I said, you know what? Those things I had planned for us today, I'm going to do them by myself. See you at 4 o'clock. And I left. <laughs> It was awesome. <laughs> Went to Costco, got a bunch of stuff done. It was great. On Friday, we had a conversation about personal services, not being on the list of things only vaccinated Manitobans can do, right? So like haircuts, nail salons, massage, whatever. Uh, specifically relaxation massage because, you know, some massages for actual therapy and treatment. Um It was a concern that was brought forth to us by someone who works in personal services. So we had a chat about it. We spoke to a business owner and asked the question, should personal services be on the list? And as I looked at the comments on our Twitter uh, later on Friday, I just I sat in disbelief at the outpouring of anger. Now, it wasn't just anger and it wasn't just frustration, but the hatred Just comment after comment full of hateful and, in some case, outright disgusting uh, things to to say. Like, like, if you want to have a respectful conversation, I'm all in. 
Like, I understand why, if you are unvaccinated, I understand why you might be angry or frustrated. I had such a conversation on Saturday with someone who is not vaccinated. I said to her, hey, you're unvaccinated, right? And she, you know, stiffened up a little bit and said, yep. You know, I sensed maybe she was getting her hackles up because she probably thought I was about to attack her and who could blame her? So my follow-up question was, new orders in effect, lots changed for you now. Are you okay? And it was a great chat, productive, respectful. I didn't agree with everything she had to say, and she had some things that were just outright incorrect. But we managed to have a conversation about a difficult topic and then just carry on shooting the breeze. And then she later texted me to thank me for hearing her out without judgment. And I thanked her for sharing her opinion without screaming at me. Um, You know, like, remember Premier Calvin Gertzen's message. You know, we're not going to solve anything by yelling at each other. But I've sort of gotten to a point where if you're not just angry... Uh, but you're spewing hatred into the world. I don't think I've got time for that anymore. And the Nazi comparisons, like there was a comment along the lines of the three morons won't be happy until the unvaccinated are carted off on a train to a concentration camp. Like this kind of commentary has got to stop. It is disgusting, Loren. I think we've been down this road before where we've tried to explain to people that's, that the comparisons are not only just outlandish and inaccurate, they're, they're mean and they're in huge disservice and a huge insult to anyone who's a survivor of the Holocaust or who had loved ones that were lost in World War II and at the hands of Nazi Germany. It's just, it, I don't know, I don't, I don't even want to go down this road again. You know, you're, you know that that's not a fair comparison and we don't, we need to stop doing that. But I think we need to talk, Greg, just about controlling the anger that we have. I mean, even on the campaign trail last night, and we'll get into this at 7.50 when we talk to one of our political correspondents, but gravel and rocks were hurled at Justin Trudeau and his team. And, and the, the, the level, I think we can all agree that's wrong. I don't care who, who you like or don't like in life. You tell your kids at a very young age, don't throw things at one another. Like all, it's like we're getting back to a grade one chat you have to have before the kids start school about being respectful and kind and use your words. Uh, but we're talking to adults. Yeah, the civility has really disappeared, hasn't it? And not on all fronts, but on many fronts. And it is discouraging. It's disheartening. It was difficult to even pay attention. I understand why some people just don't want to hear about what's going on right now. Because last week, if I can be very honest about it, it was quite refreshing to not have to talk about, to not think about what's going on. But of course, it's in your social media. It's in your news every single day, these different Uh, protests and uh, the uncivility that is happening and the lack of respect on the campaign trail for candidates that are just trying to get their their platforms out. Uh, Boy, oh boy, it's something that I've absolutely never seen before in Canadian politics. And this dissent within Canadians in general isn't anything that I've ever experienced. Usually the thing that Canadians get most worked up about is hockey and Canadian football. (laughs) That is about as angry as we get with one another. And we are so far past those lines now, Brett. It's uh, it's quite concerning. Well, as it pertains to the, that situation with Trudeau, I was listening to some audio from that protest. We can't even play it on the air here because no. 
it's the, there's one person who's just screaming like, I, I mean, I can't say it, but it might as well have said, I hate you. I hate you. Like just, it's, chi- it's like a child, but it's yeah. with swears. It's, it's outlandish. Vitriol is, is the best word I can think of for it. And then one of our listeners last week, I believe it was Omer, uh, said as it pertains to the vaccine discussion and the pandemic that this is the most divisive issue he's ever seen in his lifetime. Um, and it's just, and by the way, uh, if you're like hatefully angry, doesn't matter what side you're on. Like if right. you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, it's, it's, it, there's no excuse. And I think a lot of, I think probably a lot of the anger, Greg, comes from people being vaccine shamed. Like that's not productive. If, if I'm, if you're vaccinated and you're shaming someone who's unvaccinated, that's not helping the situation either. No, you might as well be on the other side of it. It's the same behavior. It's the same lack of respect. As angry as you might be. It's not going to get us anywhere. It's just going to find us and create this downward spiral, this race to the bottom that I don't think anybody wants to see. So you are welcome to weigh in at 204-780-6868. We would love to have a respectful conversation with you. Uh, But, you know, if you're angry to the point of hate, maybe if you could explain that. In a calm way, we would also love to hear that as well. And feel free to email Mackling at CJOB.com, McNabb at CJOB.com, or Brett at CJOB.com. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb want to talk about the recipes that just can't be duplicated. And Greg, you mentioned that you had some Le Burger Week. Uh, where'd you go, by the way? I went to North Star Drive-In. The North Star Drive-In. Excellent spot. And uh, I went on Saturday to uh, Santa Lucia on North Main because they had uh, an entry called The Italian Stallion. And it was a chicken parmesan burger. And it came with, uh, the platter came with this Alfredo poutine. Oh, my word. Yeah, so it looked good. And I thought, hey, you know, we're always giving away prizes for Santa Lucia pizza. They're our friends, so I'm going to go give them some support here. And uh, when I took that first bite of that burger, uh, it turned out to be a surprisingly and unexpectedly emotional meal. And that might sound ridiculous, but, you know, I'll just read the post I put on social media. Just hear me out for a second. My mom used to make killer chicken parmesan. So as I bit into the Italian stallion, it occurred to me that I haven't had chicken parm since well before she passed. And, like, I'm not just saying that she made great chicken parmesan because she was my mom. Even my buddies still talk about it, like, as though it was this legendary thing. Like, she made, uh, for one of my birthdays, she sent us on a scavenger hunt through Transcona, and then we came back, and she had prepared this feast for us, and the main event was the chicken parmesan. And even my friend Mike just yesterday referred to that that night. That was... I'm turning 44 in a couple of weeks. That was my 30th birthday. So almost 15 years, we were still talking about my mom's chicken parmesan. And this tasted just like hers. So I know you could argue, well, that's how chicken parm is supposed to taste. I don't care. For those few precious moments while I had that burger in my hands, it felt like I was eating my mom's home cooking again. And I am grateful. So I hope somebody from Santa Lucia Pizza is listening this morning, somebody who works for Santa Lucia I want to say thank you. And P.S. Alfredo Poutine, where have you been my whole life? Oh, my God. It was so good. So, Loren had the idea. Why don't we talk about the recipes that you just can't duplicate? Like, have you tried to mimic something that your parents made or maybe another family member or friends? Or have you tried to mimic something you had at a restaurant? 
Let us know. Have you figured it out? Have you improved on it? 204-780-6868. We have concert tickets up for grabs. We'll make the concert announcement at 737. Loren, why don't we start with you? I don't know why, but I've always loved the Italian dressing at uh, Olive Garden. And it probably has like four ingredients in it. And I've tried and I've Googled it and I've worked my butt off trying to duplicate it. And it's never, ever tasted the same. So I went to Costco one day and lo and behold, they sell Olive Garden dressing. And that's been that. So I don't duplicate it again. But a few weeks ago, I tried this time of year uh, is when on the farm you'd have a lot of meals in the field. You'd be bringing food out to anyone who was in the combine or swather or in the feed truck or whatever and so there's something about the combination of food and that atmosphere that you cannot duplicate unless you're like physically in the field but i tried a few weeks ago to do my mom's shepherd's pie which again three ingredients beef good corn good mashed potatoes great corn and uh oh some people put peas or carrots i know but we do corn and uh nope just now I've got six frozen shepherd pies in the freezer, guys, that uh, do not taste like my mom's. I don't know why I bothered. Just <laughs> it's a waste of my time. Nobody, well, we all ate it. We were like, meh. So I just, I was mad at myself that I even, even uh, gave it the effort. <laughs> well, hey, good for you for trying. <laughs> Mackling, what about you? Well, you know, I, I've raved about my mom's uh, lasagna recipe on this air in the past, and I, that's probably the flip side. I've managed to replicate it, and uh, mom, if you're uh, paying attention wherever you are this morning, hanging around, maybe on my shoulder right now, I'm sorry. But I think I've improved upon oh! it. <laughs> because uh, my mom did like spicy, but just not the same way I like spicy and seasoning. And uh, probably the biggest thing is the cheese. My mom was always on a budget when she was making lasagna for us back in the day. I throw the budget out the window. And so the cheese, there really is no limit to the amount of cheese that I'll use when making a homemade lasagna. So that probably takes it over the top. Jim Toth in for Cam Poitras in sports. What do you got, Jim? I'm just starving. And if Santa Lucia Pizza is listening, I love chicken parm. So drop them on by. I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go every day this week if you want. Um, I, I Look, I can't make anything. I'm a grill guy. I barbecue a lot. That I can do. But for my mom, and this might explain my... Um, size right now uh she could make a flapper pie is that what it's called i don't know it, it, she called it a flapper pie what's a flapper pie i don't know it's <laughs> well, like this, there is such a thing yeah okay so she could make that but the go-to for me and i just got it when i went home a couple of weeks ago i always walk in the door and there's a tray of rice crispy squares yep and I, I look i don't try to make this stuff so i can't duplicate it i can't even i don't i don't bake i don't know how to do that but without fail, and it's always warm, and I walk in the door, and I'm like, Mom, I can't. Like, I'm trying to work out and stuff. And, like, within an hour, it's gone, the whole tray. And she's like, welcome home, Jim. And I'm like, oh, yeah, bring me a bucket. But it's awesome. Uh, flapper pie is a vanilla custard pie topped with meringue. Yes, yeah. And she would put, like, some graham cracker wafers yeah. or something. Always and, the secret ingredient. And all this, yeah. And it's just, I mean... Look at me. I can't even make cereal, so I don't know how I would even attempt making this pie. But I've had it several times, even in the States and stuff. I've ordered it, and it's just never as good as hers. All right. Flapper pie and Rice Krispie Squares. Mr. Forte, what about you? I went to the lake with my friend, went to her lake, and she made the best steak I've ever had. She did it right over the fire. And so it had that smoky taste. It was juicy. It was so good. And that's something that she said she'll never be able to duplicate. And you can't duplicate memories as well because when she was trying to get the potatoes out of the fire, she lit her uh, 
oven mitt on fire, and <laughs> yeah. she's waving it in the air, and she's flaming the the, the flames. She's uh, winding the flames, and she had to run to the lake and dip it in the lake. But uh, you know, <laughs> you just you can't, you can't duplicate that. <laughs> no, is it can't be duplicated just because of it was the the, the unique setting, or has she tried to do the steak oh, over the tried, fire again? She can't do it. She can't do it again. It's it was a one time thing. It was so good, like the memory sits there. That and that's a funny picture that you painted. I just imagine somebody like imagine the rain. <laughs> your oven mitt catches fire, and you got to run down the, the bank to the lake to put it out. No, but I I I can see this is what we we're talking about with the memory. Like sometimes it's about um, the recipe and how it's done, but then you combine all that stuff together. And that's a funny story, or you're like the sun is setting, or the temperature is just right, and then the meal can you can't compare the meal again because of the everything else that went with it you know the the memory and greg so yeah i think you you i think both of you have made this point sometimes things just taste better because someone else made it for you yes. no, no question about it uh sandwich tastes better when somebody else makes it for you even though they're really just stacking stuff on bread and cutting it and what is it with well, one of my kids will t- hand back a sandwich if i don't cut it diagonally <laughs> He's like, Dad, I wow. like it. I like it diagonal. I'm like, we'll eat it. Nah, it doesn't taste the same. It's an exaggeration, but he prefers it diagonal. What is the deal with that? The texture, perhaps. It's the angle, maybe the angle of approach. I don't know. I think I prefer the diagonal <laughs> wait, as well. Wait, got to get it in your mouth? Is that a deal? <laughs> As students and teachers prepare to head back to school, concerns still loom about what the 2021 school year has in store. Global's Anya Nazaravich with more. It's the start of another school year during a global pandemic. An experienced Jen Perner says her children know all too well. My oldest one has been in kindergarten like this, grade one like this, and now going into grade two. This is what she's used to. This is normal for her. But it's, it's a tough one. A familiarity Perner hopes will be a thing of the past come June as she crosses her fingers for normalcy by next summer, but says she'll continue taking things day by day. For one elementary school teacher, preparing for this year has been less fearful, but not as clear. Global News has agreed to keep the teacher's identity private out of concern for her job. When they called us back in a few days earlier last year, they at least gave us more guideline of what we need like we need to have tape marks on the floor we need to have arrows pointing directions but we were all just so scared (laughs) trying to figure out what's going on this year when the announcement comes out that we'll be starting in level yellow again which will be nearly the same as last year okay cool but what's different you're telling us it's nearly the same could we have guidance as which parts are not the same but That has been clear as mud. The teacher said while communication has been lacking, she's excited to get back into the classroom despite concerns she could still contract COVID-19. The kids in front of me, I'm nervous for them and I'm nervous for my own kids at home. Perner says she feels those concerns as well, but adds she has to trust that people will do their part to keep her children safe. We've made it through last year. We can do this year as long as everyone's in it together. Anya Nazaravich, Global News. Our question of the day at cjob.com. With the kids going back to school this week, do you have health and safety concerns about COVID in the classroom? Yes, on the fence, or no? And that's for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness, 204-832-6243. And I will pull up those results in a moment, uh, Loren. I, really, I had it in front of me, but I, I Googled Flapper Pie on that same browser window, <laughs> so I lost it. Custard. <laughs> Took you down. See? This is what I'm talking about. It's unnecessary. For me personally, and I'm, I'm 
I I wonder if it makes a difference in terms of what age your kids might be and and what they have been able to do when it comes to the vaccine. You know, I'm looking to the states right now and um, different data from different states, particularly those with the lower vaccination rates. Greg, you know, more children in those states have needed emergency room visits and because of COVID. And if your kids are under 12, they, of course, aren't eligible for the vaccine. And so there are just different numbers that are coming out that have me a bit more leery than I was last year, just based on how it's hitting the younger age group. But the kids are all right with it. And the masks hasn't even been brought up in terms of a concern. They'll just put them on and wear them when they'll go to school and they'll they'll uh, hopefully do what they're told. So I, how how's everyone feeling in your house about this? Yeah, I think uh, you're right. It, the, the dividing line seems to be the age of your children. I know there are lots of people who have kids who are in high school and maybe in elementary or, you know, you have one or two children that are ineligible for a vaccine, one that is. So I'm fortunate in my mind to have a situation where both my kids are vaccinated. They're both in high school. They're both in high schools that don't, you know, combine any other grades. So uh, I'm feeling comfortable for them. But when I speak to teachers and I've got lots of people in my life who are teachers that, uh, you know, everything from I think it's going to be a-okay, just as long as we do the things we're supposed to, to some people who are concerned that we, we might be back to online learning sooner than later. So I think the, the, these emotions, these thoughts, these uh, wonders run the gamut, Brett. Question of the day results at CJOB.com. We had 40% yes concerning health and safety concerns. Uh, 45% say no, and 15% say I'm on the fence. And we put that up on Twitter as well and asked a modified version on Instagram, just a yes or no there because there's only uh, two options for that. But I I don't have kids, but if I had kids and I was sending them to school and they were, you know, under 12, I I think I would be concerned. I mean, I don't don't know that I'd be... uh, frightened or scared, Loren, but I certainly uh, at yeah. least an eyebrow would be raised. Yeah, those aren't the words I'm thinking of at all. It's just more, you know, cautious might be it. I feel a bit more cautious than I might have a year ago because the the second wave is an approach, but, you know, we are very much focused on um, the elderly and the vulnerable population there. So it's just, you know, it's shifted a little bit is all, and it's something just I'm cautious and aware about, and, and also using the phrases that I did a year ago, like, hey, let's hope that you can stay in class and well, yeah, let's hope we might have some games in whatever sport you're playing. Will there be a birthday party? Maybe, you know, like just casually entering in it and uh, cautious is the word. Yeah, because I don't know how many, I imagine parents probably more often than not, Greg, don't want their kids at home all day. <laughs> they don't want it either, though. From they really a, don't. From a selfish standpoint, no, I don't want them home. I don't <laughs> want to be helping them with their homework, although sometimes that's unavoidable. But for them, for their mental health, for their well-being, I want them back. I want them back full bore, extracurricular activities, all that stuff. Bring it on as long as we can keep them safe. I, I'm all for it. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, the recipes that just cannot be duplicated. We're going to give away some concert tickets at 9.15 based on your text messages. Make the concert announcement coming up at 7.37. And uh, we were talking about flapper pie, but Greg, I also see uh, getting lots of comments on pudding, such as from Michelle and Liz. Yeah, I'm trying to look up something called wash day pudding. 
Michelle says, cannot duplicate my mom's wash day pudding. We had it every Monday, wash day, growing up, and just loved it. But no matter how I try, it turns out sickingly wet and totally inedible. I guess it must be that love ingredient she always puts inside. What else could it be? There, okay, so have you ever heard of wash day pudding, Loren? No. Okay. I, I'm look, I, I found one. It's got raisins in it. Sorry. Now I'm, now I'm mad about raisins, quite frankly. I was mad at custard about 20 minutes ago. But no, I don't know what's in it. What, Michelle, you have to let us know. Like I, I, I'm getting it. I obviously get that that was done the day of wash day, which would be a big production decades ago without the washers we have. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because I see there's a wash day cake. Uh, it looks like I found something here that says this pudding, which is known by many names, caramel cake pudding, radio pudding. Uh, it's an older recipe evidenced by the use of soda and cream of tartare. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. Well, so that was uh, wash day pudding from Michelle and Liz with uh, another kind of pudding. Yeah. My mom was the best cook ever, and she always made Yorkshire pudding when we had roast beef, which was amazing. So I made it, and I had my parents over. My dad starting. This is great for my mom to come into the kitchen. And she did, and he said, look inside the oven. <laughs> My Yorkshire pudding was rising so high, and he said, now that's Yorkshire pudding. My sister is still trying, and hers uh, turns out like a pancake every time. No one can seem to get it to rise like mine. Maybe it's just your oven, Liz. Maybe you have the right oven for the job. Competition there, though, in the family, right? Can you sister, imagine that? Sister versus sister trying to beat the Yorkshire pudding. Now that's what Yorkshire pudding's supposed to look like. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I, I guess, too, like, if you're making you're making a meal for the parents, is there any sort of fear of criticism, right? Like, you're trying to make oh, your parents yes. proud or happy, and at the same time, you fear, yeah, Greg, you're nodding? Oh, no question like, especially about Especially if it. you're uh, duplicating a recipe of theirs, right? Like, oh, they, did, they had a great marinade or a great sauce or whatever, and gravy? Like, forget it. Gravy's meant to be made by someone gravy. else. Yeah, my, my nanny was an amazing baker, uh, horrible cook. But boy, could she ever make gravy. She was great at making gravy, I think, because I had to cover up the roast beef that we were trying to eat. But uh, that's a whole other side conversation. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. We're going to talk to Bob Irving in a moment for Breakfast with the Bombers, but we've been telling you that we have a concert announcement to do at this very time. And guess what? Casinos of Winnipeg presents a Canadian legend. Gordon Lightfoot comes to Winnipeg November 21st at Club Regent Event Centre with songs and a voice that influenced a generation. See casinosofwinnipeg.com for all public health and event information. Tickets are at ticketmaster.ca, Loren. I think this would be a good one to hit up. But yeah, Sunday, November 21st, 7 p.m., Club Regent Event Center. And that's, uh, I think that's an opportunity that many people might want to snap up. You don't, you, these don't, Gordon Lightfoot doesn't come around often on stage. Tickets well, go on sale Friday, but there is a pre sale on Thursday. The password is Sundown. And we've got beat the box office tickets all week long on the start. We'll give away our first pair at 9.15, Greg. I know Bob Irving's standing by here, Brett, and I would jump the gun here, but I'm. In my memory bank, Gordon Lightfoot, wasn't there a report that he had passed away? And didn't he actually 
essentially phone you to correct that information? Yeah. Is that right? He was listening to our national show. The day was Thursday, February 18th, 2010. And there were reports circulating that he had died. And we were reporting that. And then he called. I answered the phone and he says, hi, it's, um, it's Gordon Lightfoot. I just wanted to let you know that I'm... Not dead. That's fantastic. <laughs> so we put him on the air. And I don't ch- know why I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. So, indeed, we have beat the box office tickets all week long for Gordon Lightfoot. We'll give away our first pair at 9.15. Now, in the meantime, Mr. Forte, what day is it? It's Tuesday. Breakfast with the Bombers. Brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. And who better to spend breakfast with the Bombers with than the voice of the first place, Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Bob Irving. Yeah, first place in the West, first place in the entire Canadian Football League. Bob, 4-1 and one looks pretty good right now. Does it feel right? And do the Blue Bombers look like the best team in the CFL right now? Well, they certainly do, you guys. Uh, breakfast with the Bombers, I would say the Bombers uh, lunched on the Rough Riders on, <laughs> oh, God, sorry about that, uh, Sunday in Regina. Uh, they dominated that game almost from start to finish, although the score didn't indicate it until the fourth quarter, but uh, their defense was just overwhelming against the Rough Riders. Uh, yeah, they're 4-1. and one. They gave up eight points against a Saskatchewan team that had been averaging almost 30 points a game. And it's tough to play in that environment. You know, it's impossible to describe how difficult it is for a visiting team to play at Mosaic Stadium because of the 33,000 fans and the noise they make. And yet the Bombers were able to, you know, fight through that. Their offense performed admirably, given those difficult conditions, I thought, especially in the fourth quarter when Zach Kolaris came through with some big, big plays. And it was impressive. It was a statement to the rest of the Canadian Football League, I believe, that, hey, folks, don't forget, we're the defending Grey Cup champions. And some of you maybe haven't given us the respect we deserve, but here we are, 4-1, and one, a big win in Saskatchewan. And then, uh, as Willie Jefferson says, come on down to Winnipeg for the Banjo Bowl on Saturday. We want to play that clip in a second, Bob, because uh, we talked a few a couple of weeks ago in Toronto, we had those back-to-back games with the Argonauts about how it's difficult to win both ends of the doubleheader. So, yep, Saskatchewan, the Riders are coming back to town. Here is what Willie Jefferson had to say on what it will take to win on Saturday. We never want to go into a game against a good opponent doing the same thing that you did the week before. So I'm pretty sure we're going to make some tweaks, add a couple of things, change a couple of things around, try to make it hard for, you know, Cody and their offensive line and their receivers coming into our house. Like I said, we have the loudest fans, best fans. In the league, the atmosphere is going to be amazing. So, you know, for uh, for that offense, they're not going to be able to hear. The stadium's going to be shaking. It's going to be hard for them. All we have to do as a defense is come out, play our game, and assignment sound, you know, tough Winnipeg football, get our offense the ball, and everything will shake out the way we want it to. Yeah, he mentioned getting the offense the ball, but how big were those interceptions, three of them from the defense on Sunday, Bob? Yeah, they were huge. Uh, Brandon Alexander had two of them. The Bombers won the turnover battle. The only battle they won was in the kicking game, but it didn't seem to matter. And I remember two years ago when the Bombers went to Regina for the Labor Day game, and they got beat. A close game, but they lost. And then they came home, and Cody Fajardo, the Saskatchewan quarterback, 
could not could not handle the noise here at IG Field. And as I think ahead now to the game on Saturday, and Fajardo had a tough game on Sunday. He was beat up. So was Zach Calaris to a degree. It was a violent physical game. I loved it. It's football, as Michael Shea said in our postgame show. Hey, isn't that football? It sure was. But I'm not sure how Fajardo and the Ryder offense, given what happened two years ago when they came here with the noise, are going to be able to find a way to deal with it in a positive fashion. Now, the, the worst thing the Bombers can do is get overconfident and you know think in the terms I just expressed, and I don't think they will. But, uh, man, oh, man, the Riders are facing a real uphill battle, I think, on Saturday when they come here. There were some terrific plays on offense on Sunday. Drew Orlotarski, uh, Kenny Lawler, Nick Dembski each made a fantastic play or two each. Uh, the defense is getting much of the credit for Sunday's win. But Zach Alaris and Andrew Harris were pretty good too, weren't they? Yeah, Harris ran for 95 yards. You know, he's back to his old self as far as I'm concerned, which is really remarkable when you consider his age. And I know Andrew and players of his age don't like it being brought up, but he is 34 for a running back who you know, had to spend six weeks rehabbing after a training camp injury. Uh, he looked like his old self. Man, he's a talented, tough guy. Uh, great catches by Walatarski. Nick Dembski in the end zone made a terrific catch on a beautiful throw by Kolaris. And Kolaris got hit as he was making that throw. And, you know, that's a real uh, challenge for a quarterback when you know you're going to get pasted, but you stand in there and make the throw anyway. And it was the final score of the game, which really uh, iced the game for the Blue Bombers. So everything about what they did on Sunday was impressive, especially given the environment that they were playing in. Uh, far and away, a statement that, you know, it was a, like a cannon shot heard around the rest of the Canadian Football League for sure. So you got the Bombers at 4-1, and one, Saskatchewan 3-1, and one, BC Edmonton 2-2, two and two, and there's Calgary wallowing in the basement at 1-4. and four. And in the East, Montreal, Hamilton, Toronto, all two and two. So the Bombers sit uh, right above the whole crew here as we head into this week and the Banjo Bowl on Saturday, which, by the way, still has some tickets left, I'm told, by Wade Miller. Uh, They're also going to open up the tailgating, you guys, for the first time this year. On Saturday, there will be tailgating, uh, and the tailgate area opens at noon. The game kicks off at 3, and we'll have our broadcast starting at 1. I'm sure you'll go through these numbers throughout the week here, Bob, but uh, according to my calculations, the Blue Bombers have won nine of the 16 Banjo Bowl contests played, including five of the seven which have been played at IG Field. But here's some trivia. Last team to sweep the two games was the Riders in 2018. Do you remember who the quarterback for the Riders was, Bob? In 2018, Zach Caleros was their quarterback. Yes, I do remember that. There you go. So I don't think Zach Caleros has lost on Labor Day, and he hasn't lost in a Banjo Bowl start either. It's uh, looking pretty impressive, and we'll see if the Bombers can replicate what they did in Regina on Sunday, this Saturday at IG Field. Can't wait for the whole week of coverage, Bob, and, of course, the coaches show tonight, 7 to 8. Right. Good, uh, Good to be with you guys. Have a great day. Bob Irving, the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Usually we talk to him every Monday at 8.37, but since we weren't here yesterday, we thought we would talk to him today for Breakfast with the Bombers, which once again is brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. Coming up in our next segment, Loren McNabb, uh, who are we talking to as it pertains to angry uh, protesters? 
Well, we've got less than two weeks to go until that vote, but man, what's being seen on the campaign trail is uh, truly, I don't think, a place we've ever been before in this country. We've had protests. Last night, some of those protesters uh, hurled gravel and rocks at Liberal leader Justin Trudeau, so we're going to check in with our chief political correspondent to see how that's going over and uh, where this goes next as we head towards September 20th. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. There is audio in our system of this protest, this political protest, Loren, but uh, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to, like, it would just be a solid 30 seconds of bleep because it was so angry, so much obscenity, so much cursing. I don't think I've ever heard anything like it as it pertains to a federal election campaign. No, so we we mentioned we have less than two weeks to go uh, until that vote, until Election Day. There's been protests all along the way uh, at some of the different leaders. But what happened last night, this disturbing incident out of London, Ontario, uh, got so many people talking. There was debris, some gravel, small rocks, and of course obscenities hurled at Liberal leader Justin Trudeau. And to share more, we're joined by Global's chief political correspondent, David Aiken. Hi, David. Hey, morning, guys. Yeah, and I've been out with the Liberal leader for the last uh, week or so. I'm, I'm traveling this week with O'Toole, and it's really an Ontario phenomenon. Um, there are some protesters, say, in B.C., but really more, you know, environmental protesters, that sort of thing, and sort of protesters you kind of expect, you know, just some chanting and, and, and signs and things. But the Ontario protesters are all anti-vaxxers, and you're right, they show up, absolute obscenities, uh, some of them threatening to kill uh, the Liberal leader, they want to hang him, etc., accuse him of treason. Yesterday they went even further. Somebody picked up, uh, you know, a, a handful of small rocks, I mean, slightly bigger than gravel, but not big chunks of rock, and threw it at uh, Trudeau as he was leaving, hitting, we don't know if it hit Trudeau or not, it might have grazed his shoulder, but it certainly hit some of the RCMP guys around him, hit the bus that he's on, hit some of the media traveling with him, and that's taken it to a different level. We have been trying to track some of the origins of these people. It's, it's, sometimes it's a common group. They travel around, so they're well organized. I guess they got some funding possibly too. If there is a political party associated with them, it would be the People's Party of Canada, the PPC. And, and we know, we took note that Maxime Bernier, the leader of the PPC, was in South, uh, Eastern Manitoba. I think he was in Steinbach yesterday. Uh, violating public health orders. He should have quarantined for 14 days. And he had a group down there. Again, in violation of public health orders, this is the group that's showing up at the Trudeau, that he calls it the mob, and they're wearing People's Party of Canada t-shirts, they're wearing hats, and they're, as they say, absolutely vile. In fact, here's something I can't understand. I'm a parent, and I, I go to the, I mean, I'm covering these things, and there's a mom with a three-year-old on her hip and a six-year-old she's holding by the hand, screaming the most vile obscenities at Trudeau. And I don't know. I guess I went to a different parenting school than her. Um, I just, uh, I just don't get it. You're following uh, the uh, the conservative leader today, David. Gun control has dogged the conservative campaign. What what is Aaron O'Toole saying about gun control and his plans if elected prime minister? Yeah, well, we had a classic flip-flop here, but it might be a flip-flop that works in his favor. I don't know. I'll have to see. So last week, if you downloaded the Conservative Party platform, um, it, it said, this was in the platform, that the Conservative government would repeal um, some restrictions or bans on certain kinds of guns the Liberals brought in. The Liberals brought in a list of guns, assault-style weapons, and they banned or restricted them. And the Conservatives in the platform said, we will undo that ban. Um, and then last Thursday's French-language debate, 
O'Toole said something different. And then on Sunday, he confirmed, no, 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 conservatives, we will keep the ban in place. We will not repeal the liberal ban on guns. And then yesterday, the platform changed. Honest to God, if you download the platform now, it's different. I've never seen this. They changed their platform. Look on page 46. There's now a little footnote that says uh, all banned guns will remain banned guns. So O'Toole was getting some fire yesterday from Trudeau saying, look at this guy O'Toole. He'll say anything to get elected. And he might. I don't know. I, I know he wants to get elected. But, but here's the thing. A, I don't think a whole lot of folks care that much about gun control. There's going to be some ridings, and some people will, but I think most Canadians, most voters right now, hey, we're going back to school. We still got COVID. I mean, what's up with that? That's, I think, top of mind for a lot of voters. And in any event, O'Toole's move on the gun issue really is trying to move his party to the center to appeal to urban voters in Winnipeg or Toronto or Vancouver. And he's leading in the polls. Like, he's a point ahead of the, of the Liberals. So whatever he's doing um, is working for now. Just about 60 seconds here, David, but less than two weeks to go. What's on tap this week for the varying campaigns? The, the, the debate is dominating everything. We've got the French language leaders debate Wednesday. You can watch that on Global. We'll have a, a translation, I think, uh, ready to go. And then Thursday, the one and only English debate. And as I say, O'Toole is the front runner. He's going to take some incoming fire from Trudeau. Trudeau's going to use, Trudeau's going to use those wedge issues that uh, liberals use when they're behind, and that's abortion and gun control and two-tier health care. I'm sure O'Toole's got a good line to throw those attacks back. But you know what? Trudeau's going to take some incoming fire. In the French debate last week, the best moment, where the best punch was from Jagmeet Singh, the NDP leader, when he asked Trudeau the question I think a lot of voters are angry about, which is, why the heck are we having this election in the first place as we see the pandemic fourth wave continue to rise? Um, it was a good moment for Jagmeet, and I'm sure Trudeau's going to need a better answer on that when we get to it in the debate. Global's chief political correspondent, David Aiken, joining us live on 680 CJOB. David, thank you very much, sir. Thanks, guys. Have a good morning. Mackling McGarry McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. Reminder to continue to text us your stories about the recipes that just cannot be duplicated. Like Loren uh, J. sent us a great story, and I know you saw this one. He had a really cute story. He says, amazing food experience this weekend. My mom passed four years ago. She had cancer for my entire daughter's life. Nine-year battle. My daughter is now 13. We came home from the field to harvest a little bit early because of rain to find my daughter cooking. Whole chicken, roasted potatoes, stuffing, and fresh garden green beans. This tasted and felt like my mom cooked it. Aww. Simply amazing, very proud dad moment. I guess so. This is making me want to go wake up my kids and yell at them to cook a chicken to see if they can make that happen. <laughs> G-Mac, how would the Twin Towers fare? Uh, not very well at all. I'm picturing Loren with her clipboard, her newly discovered clipboard. My uh, here's the recipe. You have 45 <laughs> minutes to get this thing into the oven. Away you go. And uh, we'll see you at 3 o'clock this afternoon for an early supper. I, I, you know, I, I just... Uh, uh, I admire any children with extraordinary talents. You know, we've had, I'm trying to think of off the top of my head, Brett, we had that young girl who brought those incredible sweet treats. Yep. Sweet right? treats by Emily. Okay. It was Emily, right? And uh, just an incredible talent and uh, work in the kitchen and 
perfecting that is at a young age a is a great way to connect with your kids uh, one of my boys really likes to bake and likes to bake with, with his grandma in particular and I think that's an awesome thing but cooking uh, yeah and unless it's uh, did toast say he couldn't make cereal that's <laughs> yeah. about that's about the extent of cooking prowess in my house <laughs> so two. it's a great skill to give your kids but man like you have to have some patience as well for oh, that. oh yes I think that's probably why I did. I did never learned because my mom would try, but she 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 was awesome cook, not very patient person. I think it's because you took the skin off the chicken all the time, wasn't that you with your mom? You'd be taking the mom, turkey yeah. skin and the chicken skin, and fight. that's she wanted you out of there. Don't touch her. Don't touch her skin. <laughs> she wanted <laughs> she wanted to save it for herself. Okay, so keep those stories coming for a chance to win Gordon Lightfoot tickets. We just announced that this morning. We'll give them away just after nine fifteen. All right. Uh, so we mentioned the technical issues just before we read this. Can we all, Loren, can you see the script? I can. GMAC, can you see it? I can see it. All right, away we go. A Vancouver Island man who's had his share of medical challenges in his lifetime has a message for those pushing back against enhanced COVID safety measures. And the message is, it's not all about you. Yeah, so he's a double heart transplant recipient. His name is Robbie Thompson. And he says he's really just tired of people telling him to stay home if he's worried about getting sick. Global's Ted Chernecki has this story. It's been a hell of a year. An understated title to a video produced by a first-year college student in Nanaimo. He's had two heart transplants, one at 18 months of age, the other around five. Though double vaccinated, he continues to live in quarantine because the heart that beats in him isn't his. And this means that my immune system is trying to kill me at all times. Like all organ transplant patients, he must take immune suppressant drugs to keep his body from rejecting his heart. They also render vaccines less effective. And this doesn't include just people with organ transplants either. This also affects people with COPD, severe asthma, those battling cancer. There's a whole spectrum. In a word, sad is how he describes last week's anti-mask and vaccine rally outside VGH. So I see people who are being given this misinformation, stuff that is factually not true, and it boggles my mind. It makes me sad because I don't believe these people have ill intent. It makes somebody like myself, and there are many other people, uh, medically vulnerable like myself. It makes us very, I think, feel very thrown away. His mother is a medical professional, and with his years in hospital, he likes to say he's been bathed in medical information from the day he was born. Yet despite his YouTube video that tells his story, the anti-vaxxers are less than sympathetic. It's still very hurtful, because I didn't choose to be immune-suppressed. I don't think any of us did. And it feels very disrespectful, because... What can be interpreted there is that, oh, you, you have this thing wrong with you. You don't get a life. Just about every day now, there's another story from the deathbed of regret. Anti-vaxxers who wished they'd taken the vaccine. He says, take it from a voice of experience. ICU is no fun. Ted Chernacki, Global News. GMAC reaction? Well, when people ask me, you know, what are you so worried about, Mackling? You're double vaxxed. It's no big deal. What are you worried about COVID-19? Why? Because it's not just about me. It's about people like Robbie. It's about people like my friend who's fighting cancer right now and may only have a matter of weeks to live. And I want her life to be as fulfilled as it possibly can be. 
Think about where we were a year ago. Think about all the things we were doing to keep one another safe this time last year because vaccines weren't an option. And then now here we are where we're arguing about uh, taking this uh, this vaccine that is not 100%. I'm not going to go through all the statistics and facts about this thing. The, the point is this. There are people who remain uh, unable to take this vaccine. You just heard Robbie's story. There are people, Loren, who remain unable to get life-saving, life-changing surgery because there aren't enough hospital beds. There isn't enough medical, there aren't enough medical resources in order for people to get, whether it be knee replacement, hip replacement, other surgeries that are deemed uh, optional, quote-unquote. So this isn't all about me. I feel comfortable about where I am, but I'm worried about doctors and nurses being overrun again when they're doing everything they can to keep us safe and healthy. Yeah, I think that line from him is it's not all about you and about it's about thinking about other people and, you know, the fact that he, as he says, I didn't choose to be immune suppressed and you have this wrong, you know, off you go, we'll do whatever you can and just sit in your home and you can, you're, you're fine there, stay there. That's so disrespectful. It gets back to what we've been talking about and a conversation I think we all need to tune into after 8.30, Brett, as we visit with our good friend, uh, Raymond, about how we can maybe be a bit more civil to each other. Kids go back to school. Are they going to be talking about this? Uh, maybe we need to just get back to basics and talk about the way we talk to our kids. We tell them to respect one another and do unto others. Uh, maybe adults need to take a page from that book. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Reminded that we have Gordon Lightfoot tickets up for grabs. We're giving away at 9.15 based on your text messages on the recipes that you just can't duplicate. Like Daryl, who says, my grandma's chocolate cookies and potato salad. I asked my son, does it taste good? He says, well, it's not like grandma would make it. He's nine and he's already a food critic. So well done, Daryl. Keep those stories coming for a chance to win the tickets. We'll give them away just after 9.15, and I see we've got a great story from Jonathan, so we'll share that in a few minutes' time. Uh, But right now, I want to talk about how about two hours ago, at 6.37, we talked about all of the anger that we're seeing out there right now, and we know that some of the anger revolves around the vaccine question and the new public health rules. It can be a real struggle to have a civil conversation these days. And we're all adults. Well, how about our kids? As thousands head back to school tomorrow, how can we help them navigate some of the things they might be hearing? For an answer to this question and more, we turn to our friend, Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman, Clinic Director of Clinic Psychology, Manitoba. Raymond, good morning to you, sir. Good morning to you guys. So, kids, the vaccine question. Is there, like, what's a good place to start as it pertains to that discussion? Well, you know, it's it's interesting because uh, children don't just learn by uh, by what we tell them, but also how they watch us behave. And if we if we if we're all going to have very strong emotions about vaccines and whether people choose to get them or not, and they're going to watch that as well too. And what we have to remember though is that children don't have that choice that adults do, where we get that option to to go in line to get that or not. Many of them are just at the um, at the control of their parents, and so we have to be talking to children about about that fact as well too. And we got to be demonstrating uh, the right way to do it instead of just telling them the right way to do it. 
How do we go about that? Because a lot of this, you know, I know that kids are going to be hearing, as you say, not necessarily the views of their classmates, Raymond, but 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 perhaps maybe the views of parents that have filtered down. And and I think the saying goes, we're not born with prejudice. We're not born to 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 dislike or to act differently about people who around people who look differently than we are. Those are all learned things. So how do we yeah. how do we help our kids with that stuff? Well, I, I think it's about being able to have the conversations with them as well. The same way, we, I think we need to have age-appropriate conversations with children the same way we would have them with adults. We need to talk about all the information that's tied to it, why people are getting vaccinated, why people are not getting vaccinated. But, but like, let me take a step back. I do believe we need to get vaccinated. That is the thing to do, in my opinion. That said, we have to know that children don't often have that choice. And so that's what I say to my kid, right, is just that you have to know that we believe this is the right thing to do. It is the right thing to do, but that doesn't mean that the kid has a choice. And so if they, if somebody's not vaccinated, it doesn't mean you take it out on them. And what we, what we do need to do is find ways to manage our own behaviors. And that's ultimately the best thing that we can do is teach children to learn how to manage their own behaviors, but also not give in to kinds of behaviors that are not as helpful. We find similar discussions with numerous health topics, you know, whether it comes to safe sex and talking to children and teenagers about that. We talk about children to children about drug use, about healthy, healthy choices, making healthy eating choices. And again, not making fun of other people for that reason. This is not that different. The difference is, is that as adults, in the middle of a global pandemic, we have a lot of strong emotions tied to it. And we need to be able to temper some of those emotions because the reasons why some children may or may not be vaccinated might be different than we might perceive it to be as adults. Sounds like pretty applicable stuff to all of us, Raymond. And and we were talking a couple hours ago just about the anger we're hearing and seeing and that perhaps I don't know if we felt like this country has been so divided as it is right now. And if you're if you're a 20 30 40 50 80 year old at home listening to this maybe we all need to take heart a bit yeah no absolutely I, you know like i said like my personal thing is that i do believe that we need to get back to i feel very strongly about that that being said i'm also reminded of the fact that i have the privilege of you know of having lived in this country for a very long time and not experiencing some of the challenges that some people who are vaccine hesitant experience now that doesn't mean i would encourage them not to get vaccinated, but there is another perspective there that can have an impact. So we know, uh, not say all, but there had been a large group of people who had been vaccinated who came from communities of color and new, and new, com- new immigrant communities. And that had a lot to do with trust. And so what I would like for us to think is how do we get people on board? And generally divisive emotion is not going to get people on board. That actually pushes people further apart. So the goal here is not about allowing people or saying to people, yeah, sure, you don't need to get vaccinated. We want as many people as possible to get vaccinated. But the means by which we do it, how we do it, is ultimately about being able to have, you know, appropriate discussions where inflamed emotions are not pushing us further apart. What about if a, if a kid or a teenager is, is the target of some sort of, uh, of nasty commentary as it pertains to the vaccine? Because kids and teenagers can be some of the meanest people on the planet, right? Like, I think we all probably remember at least one moment from growing up uh, where another kid was just super mean to us. So um, how, 
what would you say to a, a child who says, you know, that they're dealing with a new wave of bullying in the form of uh, like something like maybe vaccine shaming or whatever? You know what? I, I think adults can be some of those people as well, too. And we can watch it right now with the political debate. I think I think children take their cue from adults. And I don't think that there is a new type of bullying out there. I think that I think it's just the context changes, right? I think people look for reasons to bully people. And it's not necessarily due to whether somebody chooses to get the vaccine or not. I think it's just I think people are looking for reasons to bully people. So, I mean, the way to deal with it has got to be the same way that we deal with everything else, right? we got to have a zero tolerance policy when it comes to bullying. And I think schools and parents need to have open conversations about how we how we talk about these things. Now, unlike most other things, um, you know, I think there's a difference here between the adult world and the child world. As I said, children don't have those choices necessarily. Um, but we need to be able to have a zero tolerance policy and we talk about how to shift behavior. What can we do to have some greater sense of control over things? Um, and I would say that's, that's the best way to approach that. Raymond, uh, for some of us, it's difficult to have a conversation with our kids about serious things, things that we would yeah. like them to consider. Um, no matter the topic, no matter the subject, how do you suggest we approach our kids to have a conversation that doesn't sound like I'm preaching, that I'm, you know, trying to uh, indoctrinate them somehow into a belief, a way of life or, or, or other? How, how do I have a meaningful conversation with my kids? How do I approach them? How do I sit them down and and connect with them in a genuine fashion? Have you got some tips there? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is to make sure that one conversation is not the only conversation. Because if you're having a single conversation, you're probably just telling them versus having a conversation with them. Conversations don't occur just once. They occur on an ongoing basis as opinion shifts. So number one is to make sure you're having numerous conversations. Number two is to make sure that you ask them for their opinion and what they're thinking. If you're simply telling them what to think, you're not actually going to be able to shift the way that they think or how how they're going to behave, including making healthy choices when it comes to health. So being able to ask them what they think, how they feel, and what are they doing and then being able to hear what they're saying and then to be having a conversation. I think that's the best way to go. And especially as our children get older, that's exactly what we need. With younger children, you know, we still need to ask them how they're feeling and how they're doing. But, uh, you know, you'll have more control to say this is what would be the best thing to do. Um, but as our children get older and they move towards adolescence, we have to recognize we have less and less control over both the way that they think but also the way they, that they behave. And having that relationship the ability to have those tough conversations is ultimately what allows us to um, to influence their actions in the, in the most healthy way. We've been talking about the anger and the divisiveness a bit this morning, but we also talked about just back to getting back to school and how he might be feeling in his parents as kids and, and all the rest. And, and my kids, for the most part, are excited, and I think there's a lot out there too just looking for that routine. But one thing that has come up again for the second year in a row due to COVID, Raymond, is the consistency question and, and what will be consistent for them or not. You know, Will they stay in school? How long? Will they have sports? Will they have a hockey game? Will they have this and that? And uh, I'm struggling for the second time in a row in terms of how to answer that without without creating further concern in their in their minds and hearts right like I, how do you answer the question well what about this or what will the future look like when it's so uncertain for so many of us yeah and i, I think we say to them that we're not a hundred percent sure but we've had experience with how we've managed this in the past if this then that 
if this, then that. And so what we do know now that we haven't known before is how we've managed through some of the most difficult phases of this pandemic. And we point that out. And being able to know that gives children and, and grown-ups the, as much control as they, as they can get. Having some sense of anticipation to be able to control outcomes as much as we can really helps manage things like difficulties with mood and anxiety and trauma, actually, as well, too. So anticipating that and letting them know, well, if this happens, this is what we're going to be trying to do. And this, if things shift, then letting them know we've managed all of this in the past and we can continue to manage it as well as we can. Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman is with Clinic Psychology Manitoba, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Raymond, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It is 8.47 on 680 CJOB. If you want to weigh in on what you've just heard, of course, shoot us a text to 204-780-6868. And a reminder that our question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. With the kids going back to school this week, do you have health and safety concerns about COVID in the classroom? So far, we've got 46% say no, 41 yes, 14% say I'm on the fence. Cast your vote at cjob.com or on Twitter. At 680 CJOB. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. Next half hour, we're going to tell you about a fun event happening on Saturday, Winnipeg Beer Fest. In our next segment, we're giving away tickets for Gordon Lightfoot. We just announced that this morning. He's coming to Winnipeg November 21st, and we're asking you at 204-780-6868 to tell us about the recipes you just can't duplicate, like Roy, who says, My departed dad loved to garden. Uh, He discovered huckleberries more and more every year, and Mom would make jam. It was so good. Huckle? Sorry, huckleberry? Huckleberry. Okay. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. I've never had a a huckleberry. So one year she forgot one ingredient, so it didn't set up. My dad was a little angry until she made pancakes, opening a jar and trying it on them. Best screw screw up ever, huckleberry pancake syrup. So there you go. Yeah. I'll be a huckleberry. (laughs) There it is. What movie is that? Tombstone? Tombstone. Have you seen the Val Kilmer? Uh, documentary as of yet, either one of you. No. That was one of the things I watched while I was on holidays. Very, very good. And I'm, you know, I love Tombstone, probably my favorite movie of all time. So I do have an affection for Val Kilmer. If you just like him even just a little bit, I highly suggest that documentary. And Jeff Braun actually reviewed that a couple of weeks ago in the Couch Potatoes. If you want to hear more on that, just get the Couch Potatoes podcast and you'll find it. So again, we'll give those tickets away in our next segment. But right now, this is just a fascinating story, Loren. Security forces are scrambling to find six Palestinian prisoners who somehow escaped a high-security prison in Israel. Yeah, so Global's Redmond Shannon brings us this story. And as he explains, it's drawing some comparisons to the film Shawshank Redemption. Looking for answers in a hole in the ground. Workers in the high-security Gilboa prison discover the toilet floor escape hatch used by six prisoners who crawled to freedom in the early hours of Monday. Just outside the prison walls, directly beneath a watchtower, the other end of the tunnel. This prison service commander says most of the escape route was actually in an underground cavity, already part of the prison structure. 
The circumstances are remarkably similar to those depicted in the classic movie The Shawshank Redemption. The cramped tunnel painstakingly dug with a small tool, in this case reportedly a rusty spoon rather than a rock hammer. Social media users drew the Hollywood parallels, some mocking Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett. Israeli security forces have launched a massive search for the six fugitives, four of whom were serving life sentences for their involvement in attacks that killed Israelis. The prison is just five kilometres from the West Bank. It's suspected the men may have crossed the frontier or even the border with Jordan before the alarm was raised. The brother of one of the men, Zakaria Zubaydi, was released from the same prison two months ago. I never had a feeling that my brother was planning an escape, he said. Zubaydi is a former militant leader with the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigades. He was awaiting trial. In Gaza, some celebrated the escape, perhaps as much for the embarrassment to Israel as for the actions of the prisoners. This Islamic Jihad leader pleaded with the West Bank-based Palestinian Authority not to help in the search. Earlier this year, Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas resumed security cooperation with Israel and he recently restarted high-level talks with the Israeli government for the first time in a decade. This prison escape presents the unpopular Abbas with a dilemma as he tries to balance Israeli relations with the approval of voters. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. And this escape allegedly took place while the guard slapped. Yeah. Loren, you've spent some time in that part of the world. Uh, could you, would, if, the, if you were there while this happened, what would, uh, what would the mood be like, do you think? Well, you already have a country that has all sorts of different security rules. Um, and I think I read this morning 200 different checkpoints now set up across the country trying to find him wow. or find, find these men. So there'd be all sorts of it just would be everywhere you would go, every entrance and exit point would have just more than it, it already feels like you have a lot of intense scrutinization there. So it just would be so much more. But yeah, the fact that this guard is falling was asleep at the time. He was in the tower that faced where they would have been running. So if he had been awake. <laughs> He would have seen them, <laughs> so um, it's, fasc- it's fascinating. I know, you know, the thing, the thing about this is that it's you know it's a serious it's a serious story, right, Greg? But at the same time, you can't help whenever you hear a prison break to be like, huh, cool. Like in a, in a it, it is sometimes part of the reaction just for how it gets done. No question about it. I mean, we've all seen the Escape from Alcatraz and that escape, and and it how famous it was, and then of course the Shawshank Redemption. And you think about you know Red talks about Andy crawling 500 yards through that sewer pipe, and I watched Shawshank not that long ago, and I, the, oh, my stomach and this you could smell it and just it, oh my word, and the idea of doing what Andy did to to get out in Shawshank is absolutely unbelievable, but that's fiction. Could you imagine having done it in reality? And this is just another reason, uh, Brett, for me to have a conversation with my kids about, see why it's important for you to sleep well at night so you don't fall asleep on the job. <laughs> no, I, was, I couldn't figure out how you were connecting that. Yes, don't fall asleep on the job. I was thinking, if you ever get to prison, here's a way to get out of prison. I was like, oh, I don't know. This is the... I haven't given up that much yet. <laughs> It's like, this can't be a life lesson we're passing on just now, is it? And determination as well from these guys. Mm. A rusty spoon. A rusty spoon, and they carved themselves this hole. I think he pointed to the the little rock hammer that Andy used in the Shawshank Redemption. But, Loren, I agree with you with the 
hey, that's kind of cool. Like, there, there's a reason why there are so many films, so many TV shows that involve prison breaks. I mean, one of uh, the more popular shows of the 2000s was Prison Break on Fox. Yeah. I just went back and watched that a few years ago. Um and was amazing. <laughs> and it goes on forever. Like breakout of one prison, and season two, there's another breakout. It's like how many prisons do these guys all end up in over <laughs> the course of their lifetime? But you like you know, some of them were really bad, terrible people who had done really wrong things. And the reason why Shawshank works is because he's wrongfully, wrongly convicted, right? And so you you can get in this corner. But Prison Break had, besides the two main characters, everybody else was just a real bad person to want out. And yet at the same time, when they got out, you're like. Huh. Well done. They made it. Yeah. yeah. It was, it's all over like, and over and over again, they made it in that Maybe series. don't get caught in the first place. If you're so damn smart, maybe made just it. plan your crimes a little bit better. <laughs> well, what, that was the, the hook. One of them planned his crimes so well that he could get into the prison to then break his brother out. I got to watch that again. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. And we are asking you for a chance to win Gordon Lightfoot tickets. November 21st, Club Region Event Centre. Just announced that this morning. So today we're asking you about the recipes that you just can't duplicate. And uh, I see some audio has been dropped into our script here. Is there, do you want to just fire it? Is there a setup? I'll set it up real, really quick. We always say that you can tie just about any conversation back to Seinfeld, Friends, or The Simpsons. In this case, it's Friends. Uh, Phoebe's trying to figure out her grandmother's chocolate chip recipe. And, of course, Monica has been trying to reverse... Uh, engineer this thing for about a, about a day and a half. Well, I mean, what about friends of your grandmother's? Wouldn't they have the recipe? Well, you know, I, I may have relatives in France who would know. My grandmother said she got the recipe from her grandmother, Nestlé Toulouse. <laughs> what was her name? Nestlé Toulouse. <laughs> Nestlé Toll House? <laughs> Right off the bag. <laughs> oh, that is great. Um, now, Loren, can you see this uh, this text here about Jello that I dropped yes. in? So this listener said, "My grandmother makes green Jello, and my grandfather would grill toast and put peanut butter and ketchup on it." <laughs> I must be the outcast because the rest of the family gobbles it up before it hits the plate. Well, I can't stay farther away, further away from it. But wouldn't have it any other way. Classic family dish. So hang on. Toast, peanut butter, and ketchup with the green jello? That's what I'm trying to... I'm seeking confirmation on that because I, I imagine it's the jello goes on the sandwich. This sounds terrifically awful. <laughs> it is bizarre. But hey, thank you very much for sharing that. And this is... This one's our winner because Dan has not given up on his lifelong dream here, Dan says mall pretzels. <laughs> the mall pretzels are the hardest thing to duplicate. Back in the day, I used to coach hockey with a few guys from Shiloh. We coached a Brandon AA Bantam team. And we were in Winnipeg every other weekend for games. So one of the guys who I coached with didn't know the city and where the arenas were, but never questioned why we always had to stop at Polo Park first, and I would run in and get a dozen pretzels. Once a year, I find a different recipe on the internet, and I try it out, and the only thing I get is grief from my wife over the mess I have made 25 years, and I still <laughs> haven't mastered it. <laughs> Maybe just buy a franchise, Dan. 
And then you'd have all the recipes. And then you cook it for other people and make money at it. <laughs> Start a pretzel cart, a pretzel store of some sort. Yeah. I, I, I think I only had one of those big pretzels for the first time like three years ago. And it, I, I quite it, like them. Is it Mr. Pretzel at Polo Park? I was at Polo Park yesterday. I think that's what it's called. They're quite delicious. Uh, what about you, Loren? You like the big pretzel? No. I nope. don't get it. Nope. <laughs> I mean, I don't hate it. Like, it's not terrible or anything. I just don't. I'm not, I've never been into them. Fair enough. I, I'm really just uh, putting down a lot of foods this morning. That's basically yeah. what I woke up to do. Custard, nope. Pudding, no. Pie, not really. Try the pretzel. No, thank you. Try the pretzel in the middle of a cornfield, McNabb. Maybe you'll there's like a it there. theme, There's a theme here. I feel like if it's beige, I'm I'm not. Uh, it's and the like letter the, P. It's bland. Yes, you're right. The letter P. Pretzels, right. porridge, pudding, pudding, pie. And he said, uh, "Well, porridge." Uh, uh, Oh, porridge just... is also gross while we're at it. <laughs> so congratulations, Dan. You're going to see Gordon Lightfoot. we got more tickets to give away for the rest of the week. And i got to tell you as well, um, we have an event announcement tomorrow hmm? followed by a ticket giveaway. So I'm actually curious to know what that is. Did you just find out about this? It's on our promo sheet. Oh. Um, but yeah, I forgot I didn't see that this morning. So I'm, I guess I am just finding out about it right now. So that's exciting. It so- was at your fingertips. It just didn't hit your eyes yet. Correct. <laughs> I don't pay much, enough attention, I guess. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us. This morning on The Start, we're about to tell you about something fun happening this weekend, but something fun or potentially not fun, depending on how old you might be, is happening tomorrow, Loren. Lots of kids going back to school. Where are you going to be tomorrow? Oh, I'm going to be outside Norquay Elementary to to get the... I love talking to little kids on the first day back at school because they're excited about just all sorts of funny things like their really white sneakers or their backpacks or, you know, they might be nervous or scared. And then I was just listening to some audio just now. I'm putting together a story um, from some teens and a teacher I spoke to from Maples Collegiate. Which, by the way, is a huge school, like just massive. I think I, it was, I think it's fifteen hundred kids, and I got lost in there, and it was empty. So they're pretty excited and stoked to have a full house uh, back this week, and so we'll play some of that audio tomorrow as well. Lots of school talk, but parents talks and everything in between. You know what? That's funny that you make that point because I always went to smaller schools as well. Mm-hmm. I was in French immersion in Transcona, so I think our in our high school had like three hundred students tops so whenever i do find myself in a big school like the first time i went into tech voc yeah i was i same thing loren i just felt it was cavernous um and mackling you probably went to like where did you go was it daniel mack daniel mack about 1300 students oh, at the man. time so it was a pretty pretty large school but it was laid out it's really on two floors pretty difficult to get lost in that school well but i, I go- walked in and she said oh did you t- check in at the ocean office first or something like that like there's <laughs> and i was like there's two offices it's just mm. and i was like well i did not at where do i go two. Yeah, I, just was like, I had a good laugh at that. I was like, "There's two offices. I could get in trouble in two places. This seems this seems a lot." All right, so great event this Saturday, the fourth annual Greg Winnipeg Beer Fest. Sean Branson is our guest. He wears many hats. He's the co-owner of Promenade Cafe and Wine on Provence. He's also co-owner of Gibraltar Dining Corp at Fort Gibraltar. But today we speak to him as the organizer of. Winnipeg Beer Fest. Sean, great to hear your voice. Great to connect with you. How are you, friend? 
I'm great, thanks. It's good to hear your voice as well. Well, it's nice to hear you uh, jovial and some excitement in your voice because I think the last time we spoke with you, it was it was under uh, less than ideal circumstances. So before we get into this and the un- uninitiated, what is Winnipeg Beer Fest? Well, Winnipeg Beer Fest is a celebration of local brewers and distillers. We only allow uh, those that are small craft brewers that are made in our province. So it's an opportunity to taste all of the different brews in under one, uh, one one roof or inside one fourth, I guess. We mentioned the emotions that you felt probably over the past year and a half, Sean. You got to be feeling good to do this one again. Yeah, it's uh, we're we're very fortunate that uh, that we were able to not have to cancel again this year. We've uh, made uh, a lot of. Uh, a lot of uh, things and worked with the health department. So we are operating at 30%, 30% capacity uh, in two separate cohorts. Uh, so normally the event would be 800, 900 people. We're doing 300 people in two different time periods. Everyone's double vaccinated as well as enhanced uh, sanitation and, uh, and, and ways that we're serving the beer. So we were able to make it work with mental health. So we're so excited. How important are events like this from the perspective of introducing Manitobans to stuff they've maybe never tried or, or quite frankly, maybe didn't even know existed? Well, it is important because it's so hard. All the different brewers are kind of doing their own thing and, and working in, in this in this uh, market for, for people's consumption. So to be able to have everything under one roof, it sort of opened my eyes. Before we had a Winnipeg Wine Festival, I used to drive to Vancouver to taste the different wines that I needed. And I thought, you know what, it wouldn't it be great to have all the brewers and distillers under one roof and, and try them all because even as a restaurateur, so hard to be able to do that and, and also to support them at an event like this is important. Uh, Sean, the, one of the big messages, maybe the biggest positive in my mind with regard to the economy over the last 18, 19 months has been this appreciation for local and craft beer is really becoming uh, an art form that's becoming more and more appreciated on the scene here in Winnipeg. We didn't have a ton of craft beer beer happening even six, seven years ago. What's your take on the way that scene has changed and the way it's being embraced? Well, the thing is that the, the exciting thing is the variety and the quality is there. Like, uh, for example, at Promenade Cafe and Wine, 95% of my beers are local beers, and I'm able to hit all the different targets, the dark beer, a pale beer, an IPA, a sour, all these different things, all from just supporting local. And, and, and the quality is there. Like, normally it's like, eh, this is a local thing, and it's okay. But these, I mean, there's so many great products, so it's great. It's, it's wonderful. I love the lean to local there, and I just I have to ask you just to say a couple of weeks ago I was at your restaurant and I had the tortier poutine. So as an aside, that's mm-hmm. an amazing combo. Thank you for bringing that to my life. But we've been talking <laughs> poutine and burgers because Brett was mentioning he had what was it, Brett Alfredo poutine? Alfredo poutine, yeah, that's right. Uh, and that was courtesy of just trying to uh, suss out uh, another burger for Burger Week. So how's Burger Week going yeah. for you? Yeah, Burger Week's been great. It's sort of we do a spin on uh, on Reuben, a uh, Reuben burger. Uh, with uh, our chef is Russian, actually, so with a bit of a ru- instead of the Russian dressing, we put a, a French garbiche egg dressing on it, and it's really it's been going well. It's it, it's a different. There's a lot of restaurants competing right now, and and uh, but it's it's been great. These special food events have been are always fantastic and fun to be creative, and and it brings in lots of business. Yeah, I saw you had a Reuben themed burger, so that's on my radar as well, Sean. Uh, but like, so the Burger Week can be pretty busy, and now you yeah. also are planning this beer festival. Um, are you getting any sleep lately? 
Well, it's 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 difficult. Like for the restaurant, we're not open regular hours. We're still not open for lunches because we don't have enough servers. We have enough line cooks, which is unique. But uh, we've always never have enough line cooks. But yeah, it's it's been a challenge. But you know what? It would have been a shame to not celebrate uh, Beer Fest this year. We canceled Poutine Cup, which is another event we we host an MB Food Fest. But we really wanted to get the support the local brewers and have this event uh, this year. And then. Next year, we'll have all three of the events. But, uh, yeah, this year, it's been going well. It, we're sold out for the 7.30 to 9.30 slot, but we still have tickets available from the 5 to 7 slot. Sean, I'm still shaking my head trying to get over the fact that you're in a situation where you have more line cooks and are fully staffed in the kitchen versus front of the house. Uh, has that ever happened before? N- not in the not in the 30 years I've been in the industry uh, it's uh, yeah. It's uh, people are coming back now. I guess because uh, cabin season's over, so we just hired seven people, and uh, yeah, we're hoping after Burger Week we can open for lunches again, and then after that may possibly lunch breakfast. But uh, right now it's been it's been hard to get staff. And you mentioned the summer impact there, and people coming back from where they're, whether they're at lakes or cottages. Is that the reason why you think? Like, what's keeping you from being able to find the people to for the front of the house? Well, I mean, it, certainly people can spend the summer at the lake. That's a pretty good thing. And then they come back, you know, before they come back from school for, for servers. The, the other thing, too, is the the support system that's there is great uh, to support people, but it's kind of uh, preventing uh, some people from, from, from working. So we'll see what happens. I mean, but everywhere is, is every industry is short-staffed, but certainly the restaurant industry is. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it is what it is. Well, we, we survived this and... and uh, we hope to continue and uh, and uh, look forward to next year as well. Sean, before we let you go, um, what sort of reaction do you get from people who maybe are visiting Fort Gibraltar for the very first time for an event like this? Like, Because uh, when I went to the first beer fest, I, I don't think mm-hmm. I've been to an event there ever, uh, maybe outside of Festival, and I was blown away at how awesome a spot it was to do something like this. Well, the thing that people don't, uh, you know, don't realize about Fort Gibraltar is it's three minutes from Portage in Maine. I mean, it's just over the bridge and um, into Whittier Park uh, on the left-hand side there, uh, right along the river. So, I mean, people know it as the place where Festival de Voyager is, but the the main inside the fort walls and the main building inside, we're open all year. So we do lots of groups. We do weddings, you know, 80 weddings a year in a typical year. We, we do lots of corporate events, tourism groups. But also because we have these wonderful walls and the infrastructure, we can do these uh, these great uh, events to support lo- support local and, and uh, you know and support the brewers and it's it's an amazing facility. Like you feel like you're in the you know outside the city, somewhere really remote. But here's this big fort, three minutes from Portage of Maine, huge parking lot and uh, and a huge uh, open green space. It's, yeah, and it's an amazing the, place. Yeah, and some of the most breathtaking views of the downtown skyline all at the same time once you get over the fort, Sean. How do we uh, sign up and make sure we get our slot? Have you still got tickets available for this weekend or are you sold out? Yeah, we still have tickets in the 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. slot. You can just go to winnipegbeerfest.com uh, or just search us in uh, eventbrite.com uh, dot, dot uh, where uh, tickets are available there. And you can just uh, get your uh, your QR code ticket and we just scan you at the, at the door and you're able to sample the local brewers. Sean Branson, organizer of Winnipeg Beer Fest. He's also the co-owner of Promenade Cafe and Wine and Gibraltar Dining Corp at Fort Gibraltar. Sean, pleasure as always, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
This was a great event uh, when I went to the first one um, because they, they assembled all the local brewers and I got to try products that I had been curious about, but I hadn't had the opportunity to do that. And uh, that's where I think I learned of the, the local distillers as well. So we're getting more of those. Hmm. And it's just it's such a neat spot, Loren, yes. to go out and, and, have, and be a part of a party. I'm glad you brought that up because the very first time I went to a, an event there and I, it was a pre-voyageur type thing. I want to say um, they were using it as a fundraiser like in the fall to get ready for voyageur in the spring. What was it? Crayfish? Crayfish and corn and potatoes. But the, be- the beer was set up in the, the blacksmith shop, I think, or something. It's just kind of fun. Like it's really neat and on a nice fall day. That'll be awesome. Yeah, it's just great to see all the, first of all, these events coming back is fantastic. To go out to a venue that maybe you're unfamiliar with, that's always cool to be a tourist in your own town. But Brett, just the change in the craft beer scene over the last decade or so, it it is actually mind-blowing because I think for a long time, Sean touched on it, it was sort of an obligatory thing. You'd have something local on tap, and now so many of the beers are absolutely fantastic. You, in fact, have a hard time deciding between which local craft beer you're going to consume. It's not so many there are, and I think actually now it's probably to the detriment of restaurants that mm-hmm. who don't have local beer. Like it's, when it comes to beer, first question is always, "What do you have for local?" And if they say we don't have any local beers, I kind of I go, "Okay, I'll just get a rum and coke." <laughs> I don't even want to bother. Although I did try recently that uh, I mentioned that Trash Panda beer, and I think that's brewed out of BC, if memory serves. But still, it's a craft beer, and it's, it was really tasty. So this is a fun event. Uh, Again, the website that he mentioned is I've got WPGBeerFestival.com or just Google it and you'll find it. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.